Management. The following program is sponsored by Simply Great Lives. Welcome to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5 KSAC, where you live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This show is about you, your life, your impact, and your legacy. Now, here's your host, Awesome John. Hey, welcome to the Impact Hour. I'm Awesome John, and you too are awesome. So these days, we might be sheltering at home, sheltering in place, and you know, spending a lot of time with family and friends and maybe roommates, housemates, those kinds of things. And uh, it might be where maybe you're stressed out. It could be you're stressed out and afraid of catching a deadly virus, or maybe you're afraid of financial stability. And on top of all of this, there is struggle in communication with those families have family members and your friends and your housemates and all of that. And so communication is pretty key. Today, I'm going to talk about nonviolent communication. Now, this nonviolent communication is not just because we're sheltering in place. It just might be timely because it's adding additional stress on top of everything else. But this nonviolent communication is really a way of communicating at all times and on all places. And if you want to make an impact on the world, if you want to make a difference and you want to have some influence and make the world a better place, having a better style of communication is key. Certainly wouldn't want to be shaming and coercing people into doing what you want as part of your impact. That wouldn't be very great. So we're talking about nonviolent communication. It sounds kind of a weird phrase, nonviolent communication. What? What is this? And it's a, it's a term, and it's been coined by this fellow, uh, Dr. Marshall E. Rosenberg, actually in the 60s, and it's still useful today. And he called it nonviolent communication, as opposed to, I guess you would call it violent communication. And he's talking about a different way of communicating where when you're done communicating, it doesn't feel frustrating. It doesn't feel you know, kind of icky when you're done. It actually feels like a breath of fresh air. And so this nonviolent communication is about being aware of how we communicate, how perhaps the way we communicate invites others to a violent style of communication or a nonviolent style of communication. It's about taking responsibility for our feelings and our actions. One of Dr. Rosenberg's quotes is, what others do may be a stimulus of our feelings, but it's not the cause. And this nonviolent communication is also about sharing with others more deeply and inviting others into a collaborative conversation and perhaps collaborative problem solving, if that's what you're talking about. So from the nonviolent communication website, there are a number of organizations out there about this topic, this nonviolent communication. Uh, but there's, there's a number, but this is one of them. And it says the basics of nonviolent communication is quite simple, really. It helps you create a high quality of connection out of which people spontaneously enjoy contributing to one another's well-being. <clears throat> this nonviolent communication uses conscious language and communication skills to create a framework from which you can express your feelings and needs with clarity and self-responsibility. It helps you listen to others' feelings and needs with compassion and empathy and helps facilitate mutually beneficial outcomes for all parties involved. So we've talked about on this show this idea of win-win. This falls right into this idea of negotiating for a win-win. In fact, we actually push it even further. And here on this show, I call it win-win or no deal. We won't go forward with any deal unless everybody feels good about it rather than this win-lose type of option that a lot of people go for. So this nonviolent communication is a way of talking with one another in a way that invites that kind of win-win collaboration. Contrarily, violent communication often involves threatening, judging, dehumanizing, blaming, or coercing others in order to get our way in a situation. Violent communication creates misunderstanding and frustration, pain, and disagreements 
If you've ever talked with somebody and you just feel icky afterwards, it probably involved some kind of violent communication. So if what Dr. Rosenberg describes as nonviolent communication, the rest of communication would be categorized as violent communication. And maybe that goes a little bit further than it needs to. So I think a lot of communication is violent and I suppose some other communication might be neutral. It might not really be nonviolent the way he classifies it, but not exactly violent either. But a whole lot of the way we do communicate is this kind of violent verbal communication. And it's something that we've been taught, it's automatic. Most of us have been taught to use violent styles of communication and it's been showcased as good ways to communicate. How many people have you talked to who were the boss and they said they raked somebody over the coals for their own good? Ick. If you find yourself feeling hurt, distressed, when you end conversations, it's probably not nonviolent communication. But like I said before, it is something we've just been taught. Either someone sat down and said, hey, hey, here's a good way to communicate, or maybe it's just how we observed people communicate. It's just what we grew up with. It's what we've learned, the way we've been taught to communicate, whether it's been intentional or automatic. And much of that is this kind of violent form of communication. So as I go through this, if you find yourself going, ooh, ouch, oh man, I do that. Well, don't beat yourself up. It's just what we've been taught. And I find myself using violent forms of communication at times automatically as well. And so in a lot of ways, this message today is for me too. But awareness is the first step. You can't change anything unless you become aware of it. So the first step is awareness and then comes a journey of change. And I've learned change sometimes doesn't happen in an instant. Sometimes it does, but oftentimes change, especially personal change, like the way we communicate, it's so ingrained, we have to unlearn what we've been learning, what we've been taught, and unlearning is twice as hard as learning. And so we have to go through a process. We go through a process of looking back going, ooh, what I said last week, that wasn't great. And uh, maybe even going and cleaning up the mess with that person you know, and apologizing. And then as we go along, we recognize it sooner and closer to when it actually has happened in the past until one day we start to recognize it happening. It's going down. Now, we might be in a place where it's going down and out comes out of our mouth this violent form of communication. We go, oh, man, and we can't stop ourselves. <laughs> At least I've done that. And then finally, it gets to where a place where we can actually change how we communicate and we change it and we stop it before it happens and start to communicate differently. It's a process. So it's not a pass fail. It's not a, a judgment thing. Don't beat yourself up. This change in communication style is a process. So to help understand this idea of nonviolent communication, I started out making a list of what is violent communication. And the list is pretty darn long, holy cow. And I went through and I categorized them and I'm sure this list and these, this list of categories probably isn't even the whole list. It's just a list and there's probably a lot more kinds of communication out there that would be classified as violent, if you will and didn't get covered, this is not an exhaustive list of everything. So the categories of violent kinds of communication can involve coercion and manipulation. We're saying and doing things to try to get the person to do what we want. We're manipulating them. Or it might be blaming and accusing. And of course, some of these might be one and the same. So we could blame and accuse as a form of manipulation. It's uh, doubly violent, I guess. <laughs> Or we might communicate with uh, judging and shaming others, or just doing things in a communication that devalue or just otherwise squash people, squash people in spirit. Essentially, violent communication kills the other person's spirit a little more. So here's a list of bad examples. I'll probably not be able to get through the whole list before the break, but I'll continue afterwards. Starting out here, bad examples include not listening, 
So maybe you get into an argument with somebody and we're not even listening to what they're saying and we're just making our point and making our point and other point and we're not even taking the time to understand and listen to what they're actually saying. It can also include interrupting. So the person starts saying something and we cut them off and we interrupt. Or maybe we ask a question and don't even wait for the response. We're not listening. This also includes ignoring. So ignoring can happen. And I've heard of uh, family situations where they do this silent treatment where I'm not talking to you as a form of punishment, I suppose. But that is a pretty violent form of communication. And we'll talk more about this right after the break. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Move through your world, touching lives and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. Money 105.5 KSAT. Now let's dig under the surface and get to how life really works. Hey, welcome back to the Impact Hour. I'm Awesome John, your host. And today we're talking about nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication implies that there is other communication that is violent. And just before the break, I was starting to go over a list of violent forms of communication these forms of communication that were often taught as good forms of communication, but really are not good. As I shared earlier, essentially violent communication kills the other person's spirit a little more. So furthering on, continuing in this example, this list of examples of bad communication, this bad violent communication, talked about ignoring folks and not listening and the silent treatment, uh, it also includes arguing to be right. Sometimes it's you get into a, a debate with somebody and suddenly the debate shifts and now the person needs to be right at all costs. I know I've done that, unfortunately, and I need to catch myself and stop because that's not great and it damages the relationship. It's what I call right fighting, fighting to be right, where when you get done with the debate or the argument, it feels like there are winners and losers. And maybe there's this hidden score being kept, this idea of I won the argument, but it's actually drained the other person, their emotional bank account has been withdrawn because of the way we've communicated. <clears throat> other forms of violent communication include manipulation, which includes the word should. You should do this, you should do that or sometimes we use should on ourselves as well, which is a sort of violent communication with ourself in our inner dialogue. It includes exaggerating using words like always and never, or it's judging, making someone wrong, or being offended because of what somebody did, or degrading comments, laughing at the person, or entering into a debate to crush the other person rather than to listen and to learn, or just telling people what to do rather than asking and inviting them to collaborate on a solution. It can also include complaining or even setup statements, which are also a kind of manipulation. Like when you hit your girlfriend, do you, and then you know, whatever follows that, is made the assumption that you're already hitting the girlfriend rather than asking if it's occurring or not. Or questions like, why don't you like me? 
well, that assumes that you don't like me, but maybe you actually do. Or it can be why questions where there's no expected answer. It's why did you do this? And the person tries to answer and the response is shut up while I'm talking to you or whatever. And that's pretty violent, verbally, emotionally. Or here's this phrase maybe you've heard. Let me tell you why that won't work. Well, that pretty much squashes the other person. Or assuming your way of looking at things is the only reasonable right way to look at things and anything else must therefore be wrong. Or just out of hand rejecting other people's ideas and not even listening to them. Arguing until the other person agrees. And even if they say, okay, but you can tell they're not really agreeing, they continue to argue until you do agree. That's pretty violent emotionally. And shaming people, scolding, blaming including a phrase like, you should have known. Or if you don't agree with the person, you say you're an idiot. Or even they might say they are an idiot, blaming other people and labeling other people is pretty violent and can actually harm the people who are nearby hearing that kind of phrase. If those people are idiots when they did or said that, then what about me? Or it can include saying, I'm sorry, when you're not really apologizing. I'm sorry, I have to tell you this, but this is the way it is. That's kind of, I don't know, degrading, dehumanizing, or just making demands, or using tone of voice like, hello, or really? Those kinds of things have lots of attitude in them and are a kind of violent communication. Even phrases like, you're making me so angry, Blaming the other person for how we feel is a kind of violent communication. Always pointing out what's wrong. Oh, this is wrong. That's wrong. You did this wrong. This is too, too much this way. It's too much that way. Or pointing out others' mistakes, kind of in the same vein. Offering unsolicited advice. Ouch, I've done that. Or sharing to boast rather than to enrich. Labeling people of any sort. Dominating the conversation, not letting anyone a time to say anything at all, or just always talking about yourself, steering the conversation always back to yourself, or answering for somebody else and not letting them answer, which also includes talking about someone in the third person who's right there, can also include assuming another person's motivations, assuming that they have a negative intent when you don't really know, and I see this often. So often a person does or says something and then we automatically assume they meant some sort of negative intent with that action. And we start attributing the negative action to a character flaw that they have rather than a mistake that they just made in the moment. Or just not acknowledging the other person, not celebrating someone's successes as an example. Or sometimes even praise can be a kind of violent communication where a praise can have an isn't its implication that there's some negative side of it that could otherwise be occurring. So let me be a little bit more specific an example. So when I was growing up, uh, my parents would say, John, it's awesome that you're smart. I guess you belong to the family. And that is a kind of praise. It's also kind of violent because now I'm wondering, so what if I'm not smart? What does that mean? And of course, if I'm growing up, I'm not really able to consciously work through all of that. I just feel kind of crappy, kind of like a thanks, I think. <laughs> and it, sort of violent communication cannot be words at all. It can just be body language or just the tone of our voice. And our violent communication can get very sophisticated. And we can have violent communication with just a look, a communication of disapproval or other messages just by the way we look at somebody. Now, as I went through this list, of course, it's not exhaustive. You might be thinking, oh man, I do that. Me too. It's the way we've been taught. And so, like I said before, don't beat yourself up. It's, uh, it's not about blaming or shaming. It's about just being aware so we can take a look with curiosity going, huh, I think I do that sometimes. I wonder what's driving that. I wonder how I can make some changes and not do that anymore. 
these violent styles of communication are all over the place, everywhere. Now that I've shared this with you, I'm sure you'll start to see it lots and lots of places. I see it in the media, uh, just in regular news programs. And of course, it's dripping inside social media. It can be when we interact with friends, family, lots of this is all over the place. No wonder we grow up feeling insecure, judged, not good enough, not valued, shame, and guilt. We engage in for violent forms of communication, not only because we're taught that way, but also because we are already feeling insecure, judged, not good enough, not valued, shameful, guilty, and more. When we are feeling not valued, we tend to steer towards more violent communication backwards, back to people. It's just kind of a natural response to protect ourselves. So we use this type of violent communication as a protective armor, as a means to get validation and to stay safe in kind of almost a manipulative way. So we use, not, we use violent communication to blame others so we don't have the spotlight shown on us so we can be safe. We use violent communication to judge others so we don't feel so bad in comparison. We use violent communication to manipulate, coerce, and be in control so we can feel safe. So whatever happens is not up to anybody out there. It's up to us. We take control. We start to be controlling. And we use violent communication to devalue, squash, and squash others because, well, if we aren't valued, why should they be? And often all of this is happening below the surface. It's automatic. It's not talked about. And sometimes we're not even really consciously aware of it happening. It's just happening by habit, by rote, and automatic. And as I kind of alluded to before, to be honest and fair, I fall into these violent styles of communication too. It's what I grew up with. And I need to work on my own awareness and change my own patterns. It's work. It takes a lot of effort, but it is so worth it. A big part of this nonviolent communication, the good forms, is to really help people and to give people what uh, Stephen Covey calls in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, emotional air. It's about giving people emotional air, and it's meeting some basic emotional needs in this good style of communication. Some of the emotional needs that we have is we have needs for autonomy and making our own choices. We have the need to celebrate and to mourn. We have the need to express ourselves, being authentic, being creative, and having meaning and self-worth. We have emotional needs to be in community, to be appreciated and valued, accepted, connected, and to have contribution, which is what making an impact is all about. We also have emotional needs to share our emotions without judgment so that we can share ourselves and share of ourselves and to be known by others and accepted. Our emotional bank account gets emptied when violent styles of communication are used. And when our emotional bank account is empty, we tend to revert to more violent styles of communication back. It becomes a vicious cycle. But to break out, some of us need to switch our communication styles, even though maybe we're not yet feeling great. Somebody needs to kickstart the opposite process where not everybody is talking and devaluing everybody else uh, in our styles of communication, but we're now breathing value and life into others and starting a positive cycle of communication. Maybe a good place to start to have good styles of communication might be this list of rights. I got this list of rights from my therapist of all places. And these are things that we have rights for. It's a list, it's not an exhaustive list. And a lot of these rights have to do with how we communicate. And I think these are a really good place to start and just share with our significant people in our lives, our spouses, our you know, significant others, our children, our families, our housemates even, and talk about these rights and how we can respect each other's rights. So it's a list of 20 items here. 
First one here is the right to have and express your own feelings and opinions without them being squashed. The right to be treated with respect and dignity. The right to be listened to and taken seriously. The right to refuse requests without having to feel guilty or selfish. The right to consider your own needs. The right to set your own priorities and make decisions for your own life. The right to change the right to decide what to do with your own property, body, and time, the right to make mistakes and be responsible for them, and the right to ask for what you want, even though they have the right to refuse. To sum up, it's the right to ask for what you want without being blamed or shamed or ridiculed, and they have the right to say no without offending you as well. And we'll be right back after this break. Sacramento's Money 105.5 and the Money 105.5 app for your smartphone. And at iHeart, TuneIn, and Radio.com. Will my business survive this crisis? You don't have to figure out the answer alone. At Haney Biz, our experts are here to support you with a customized crisis action plan. For only $200, we will assist you in applying for disaster loans, building a realistic go-forward plan, and connecting with additional resources. All proceeds will be donated to help other businesses in need. I call it the power of with. Together, we will overcome these obstacles. For more details, go to www.haneybiz.com. Heroes are homegrown. They're in your neighborhood. Hardworking people just like you, working on the front lines. First responders. Doctors. Nurses. Even those working at the grocery stores. People who keep America going, providing what we need, even during a crisis. Straight Line Construction is honoring their heroic efforts with the $125,000 Heroes Giveaway. Here's where you come in. Nominate a local hero or someone in need to win one of many home improvements. Like a new roof, gutters, solar, deck, siding, painting, or a garage door. Straight Line Construction has been improving homes in this community for over 20 years, and their passion is to give back. Recognize a local hero or someone in need today. Be the hero they need. Nominate your homegrown hero or someone in need today at StraightLineConstruction.com. That's StraightLineConstruction.com. Eric Metax is here. Like you, I'm confined to my home, spending time with my family. And one thing we enjoy right now is watching uplifting movies that affirm our faith. But what's there to watch? Well, I have the answer. Introducing Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus, a documentary that explores convincing evidence that the biblical account of the Exodus is true. Investigative filmmaker Tim Mahoney journeyed to Egypt, Israel, and throughout the world to search for answers to one very important question. Did the stories like Exodus, as written in the Bible, really happen? And the results of his investigation are monumental. Right now, you can watch Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus at Home. Go to PatternsofEvidence.com. That's PatternsofEvidence.com. And immediately following the movie, a panel moderated by Gretchen Carlson and featuring Dennis Prager and Graham Lotz and me, yours truly, will provide further insight and commentary on the film. Watch Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus, and others in the series. Go to PatternsofEvidence.com. That's PatternsofEvidence.com. You've been in your house for a while. Your focus has been on the inside, making it your home. The outside, on the other hand, is another story. Landscaping is a process and can be up there in price. Not anymore. It's time to discover, discover landscape. Landscaper Gabe has been beautifying yards in the area since 1989. You've seen him at the home shows and on HGTV. For a free estimate, call Gabe at Discover Landscape today at 916-267-9020. 916-267-9020. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, and last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on The Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. 
Move through your world, touching lives, and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Live life with more intention. Now more of the Impact Hour on KSAC with Awesome John. Hey, welcome back. This is the Impact Hour, and I am Awesome John. Today we are talking about nonviolent communication. So far, we've mostly been talking about the antithesis of nonviolent communication, all the communication styles that we use that, that belittle, harm, and devalue other people. Just by the break, I was going through a list of rights, a list of basic human rights. And I'm not talking about, you know, the Constitution and that kind of thing. These are just basic human rights that apply generally in interpersonal relationships, like the right to be respected and listened to and taken seriously, the right to refuse requests without having to feel guilty or selfish, which means without offending the other person. And the other person has the right to ask for requests without offending us. And so we have a right to have a reasonable dialogue about what is desired and and what the other person is willing to do or willing not to do. And so to continue this list, it includes the right to ask for information, including from professionals, which would be doctors and other folks, the right to choose not to assert yourself. So if you don't want to assert yourself, you have that right. The right to say, I don't know right now, give me time. The right to maintain your dignity dignity by properly being properly assertive. So we had the right of not being assertive. We also have the right to be assertive, assertive, even if the other person feels hurt, as long as you do not violate the other person's basic rights. The right to be independent, the right to be successful, the right to have rights and to stand for them, the right to be left alone the right to get what you pay for, and in cases where the rights involved are not clear, the right to initiate a discussion of the problem with the person involved and to clarify it. These are basic rights, and a lot of these rights include how we communicate. And so a good place to start with nonviolent communication might be to share with other people about these rights and how you communicate with one another. But nonviolent communication is a lot more specific so it's not just in general good styles of communication. Uh, nonviolent communication uh, has a few tenets, and these four tenets, which are things that are learned over time. The first one is conscious and responsible communication. It's not talking on autopilot, but consciously choosing what you want to say and to mean what you say and say what you mean. It also means not blaming others for what is not theirs to be blamed for. So like blaming others for our feelings, for instance, it includes not coercing and shaming and all those other kinds of bad, violent forms of communication we've talked about. It's about being conscious about how we communicate and communicating on purpose intentionally. So we don't just slip stuff out because that's just what came out in the moment. It's more conscious. Second one has to do with using good language. It's about using words that more clearly explain and present the ideas we want to share. It's avoiding words like always and never and should. It includes not exaggerating. So not saying, you know, it's empty when it's not totally empty and not saying, you know, it's horrible when you just don't like it a little bit. It's using proper language. It's also about communication skills, which includes a four-step process, which I will get into in a little bit. It's pretty detailed, and I really like this four-step process a lot. And it also is a means of influence. It's a way to invite the other person rather than to coerce and manipulate. It's inviting them to change rather than telling them they should change and they're a bad person if they don't change and shaming and coercing and manipulating them. So those are the basic kind of tenets they have of this nonviolent communication, but it involves these four steps. These four steps, and you don't have to follow all four steps. It depends on what you're sharing. 
But the four steps are these four things. One is observation, next is feeling, and the next is need, and the fourth one is a request. So those are the four steps, observation, feeling, need, and request. And I'll go into these in detail here. First step is observation. You share what you are experiencing and what you are observing. You share what you're experiencing free from evaluation. You don't say if it's bad or good or right or wrong. You're just sharing what you are experiencing. Oftentimes you share things like this food is bad. We make a judgment call on it and declare it our experience is so. For everyone, everywhere, this food is bad. And this might invite others to reply with counter arguments. At least that's what I've seen. It can't be that bad. You think you got it bad. Let me tell you about my experience. Or children in Africa are starving, so just eat it. <laughs> All kinds of responses to this one statement. And it can devolve into an argument over who's right pretty easily. But instead, you want to share what you experience. When I bite into this food, I experience a bitter aftertaste. That's your experience of it. Now, you aren't sharing information. You're sharing an experience. Who can argue with that? That's just your experience. And maybe they're having a different experience of it. And it doesn't make them wrong. They can just have their own experience, and it can be different than yours. And that's OK. And it makes and gives them room to share their different experience. And they don't have to say that your experience is wrong. They can just say, oh, well, that's interesting. I experience it this way. <clears throat> if you just want to share with somebody in relationship, things will go a lot smoother when you just share your observations and experiences rather than trying to present information or facts. And so if you're just hanging out with somebody and you just want to share, just sharing in step one what you observe is a good place to share. And you might include the feeling step as well. And so you share what you're seeing and experiencing and what you're feeling, maybe. The next one is the feeling step. So the observe step is to share what you're experiencing without judgment. And you, there might be more that you would want to share, like if you don't like it or maybe it looks amazing. And you use the feeling step to share how you're experiencing it in a little more depth. This step is to share what you're feeling, not what you're thinking. It's a little different. So share what you're observing and then share what you're feeling. And again, the feeling is also free from judgment. You aren't making a good, bad, right, or wrong. And you can just share, I don't like it. And that's fine, that's sharing an experience, but that doesn't make it wrong. It's not judging it. So you're just sharing your feelings and that's just a part of your experience. So for example, I see this really red sunset. It reminds me of a time when I was growing up and I feel amazed and peaceful. In contrast, I've seen conversations go more like this. Wow, that sunset is completely red. Someone responds, there are yellows and tint, tint of orange too. No, it's not, it's completely red. And now it goes into argument. So contrast those two styles. The first style, a person got a chance to share their experience of the sunset and got to share how they felt about it. And there was connection. And the second way of communicating, it just devolved into an argument and it actually hindered connection. And so you can see how this nonviolent communication can actually be a better way to interact in relationships and to create deeper connection rather than so many of the, the arguing and the devaluing and the countering that we do in today's society. The next two steps are not always needed. It depends on what you're doing and what you're sharing. The next two steps are involved when you want the other person to do something. These steps work when you want to influence, but they also work great for conflict resolution. And so these next two steps, the next one, the third step is need. This is to share what you need, which also could just be a desire or a wish. You're just sharing what you would like. Now this need that you share, it can be tricky. A lot of times we share a method to an outcome as what we need rather than what it is we actually need. It's to do your best to share what it is you're really wanting at the core, not a specific solution. A solution is just one specific means to the end that you want. It's only one of probably many. And there are other ways to get there. 
we share the need or the desire or the wish because in the next step, we're going to invite them to help create and fill this need or desire that we have. And we want to invite them to be a part of creating that solution, which they can't do if you force the solution and say, I want this specific solution. It doesn't open them up to participate and to offer other ways, perhaps maybe even better than what you thought. So as an example, I need to go to college probably isn't accurate. College is a means to an end. Most people don't go to college just to go to college. There's something after college that they want. And maybe college is the best way to get that, but maybe in some cases it's not. And so to find out what you want or desire or need wouldn't be to go to college, but maybe would be to get a career in a certain field, something like that. Sharing what you want or need can be tricky. It can be hard to dive down into what it is we really want. It's one of the things that I do as a coach to help my clients, because oftentimes they have a very specific solution in mind that's got to look this way. And I help them kind of deconstruct that and find out that that's just one way to the end, but there might be a whole lot of others, maybe even others that are better than the one that they came up with. We want people to not just go with their first idea, but to be able to explore options and to come up with great ways to finding a solution. And we'll talk more about this right after the break. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Move through your world, touching lives and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. So much more interesting than other shows. Back to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5 KSAC with your host, Awesome John. Hey, welcome back to the Impact Hour. If you'd like to listen to past shows, you can go to theimpacthour.com. On that website is also information on how to get this show and take it with you as a podcast. And you can listen to all the shows that we've had so far and covers all kinds of topics and is helpful. So today's show is about nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication by its implication implies that other forms of communication can be violent and it is true. And I've shared earlier in the show that violent communication kills the other person's spirit just a little bit more. It's a way of devaluing and shaming and squashing other people. And unfortunately, it's the way we've been taught to communicate. We've been taught this is a good way to communicate. It manipulates, it coerces, it does all of these things. But this nonviolent communication is a different way. In order to change our communication style, we need to unlearn how we've already been taught to communicate, which may have many, many years of habit and practice behind it. Unlearning is twice as hard as learning. And so this show, hopefully, will just introduce this new way of communicating to get you started on the journey of communicating better. When we're making an impact in the world, good forms of communication go a long ways. When we want to make a really big change in the world, oftentimes it will involve other people joining us and coming alongside and supporting what we're doing. And if we have good styles of communication that invite them and encourage them to participate, and encourage them to be creative. We can go so much further and make such a bigger impact together. Whereas oftentimes our normal styles of communication shut people down. They take fewer risks. They do what they're told rather than what they think might be a good idea. We see this in companies. 
where at companies, you know, people start out and they're creative and they're excited to do things. And then over time, they kind of go, okay, I think I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to do what I'm told and I'm not going to try anything new because, you know, I get ridiculed or shamed or blamed or criticized if I, if I take risks and do things that are new. And so this nonviolent forms of communication is not just for conflicts. It's not just uh, for relationships, although it is both of those things, but it's for everywhere in life. When we use this newer way of nonviolent communication, it opens up collaboration and so many ways of sharing more deeply in all walks of life. <clears throat> so before the break, I was talking about these four steps of nonviolent communication. These four steps is observe, feel, need, and request. That's just what they're called. So the first one is to just share what you are observing. The second step is just sharing what you're feeling. Both are being shared without any evaluation, without judgment, without making it good, bad, right, or wrong, without blaming. We're just sharing what we experience with another person. And if all we're doing is sharing with somebody, this might be all that's needed to create more deeper connection. The example I shared before, which I really like, is how we share about a sunset. So we might say something uh, like, uh, this is a really red sunset, and it reminds me of a time when I was growing up, and I feel amazed and peaceful. Just a lot of sharing. In contrast, a typical conversation that I've seen might be, wow, that sunset is completely red. And the response might be, well, there's yellows and some orange in it too. And the response is, no, it's not. It's completely red. And now we're arguing about the color of the sunset, and we're not really sharing. So these first two steps, observing and sharing what we see, sharing what we feel, is just a great way to connect with people. And then the third and fourth step is to share what we need. And before the break, I was talking about how we do share what we need, what we desire, what we wish. A lot of times it's hard to get to the core of what it is we actually want. What we really want oftentimes is a means to an end. We want a swimming pool. Well, maybe not really. Maybe we want is a nice refreshing experience that we get when we have a swimming pool, but having a swimming pool is one way to do that. And so finding out what we really want can be tricky. And a good way to find out might be to just take some time out and ask yourself, why is this important? And then give an answer and then ask, why is that important? And then get an answer and ask again on the second answer, why is that important? And do that until you get to the essence of what you want or need and share that with the other person. You'd be surprised at how many creative ways that can be found to get what you really want. The last step is to make a request. You make a request. A request can be for a specific solution. You can say, you know, I, I'd like this. And the other person can say, oh, that sounds great. But you've already requested the core of what you really want. And the other person might be able to respond with, okay, I see that, but what if we tried this other thing instead? Would that be better? And now you can collaborate and work together in order to find a solution to the desire, the want, or the need that you have. And now you're working together rather than working against each other. Rather than trying to get the person to do something, you're inviting them to help create a solution. Now these steps do make some assumptions built into them. They make some assumptions that the other person will want to cooperate. And a lot of times we're not sure that the other person would want to cooperate. And I guess I can't say for sure that everyone wants to cooperate, but I think oftentimes people do want to cooperate far more than we think. These steps can be used for conflict resolution and it can be used from either side of the conflict. It could be that you're feeling hurt. So you can use the four steps in that conflict resolution. It could be something like this. Hi, Bob, I know you're a generous guy and you wanna help everyone. I like that about you. When you told that joke last week, I felt belittled and demeaned. I know you're just trying to connect through humor and I need to feel safe around you and not worry about how you might respond when I share vulnerably. What would really help me out is if you stuck to humor without put downs. And that is the four steps just walked right through. If someone shared something like that with you, if you were Bob, 
I think you would go, ah, oh, oh man, I can't believe I did that and might apologize and it would heal the relationship. On the other side, you can do it also, you might have to kind of draw out of them. They might start out with an accusation, you're a jerk or whatever it is. And the first step in that might be just to disarm their accusation and say, yep, you're probably right. Sometimes I'm a jerk. I probably just acted like a jerk right now. Why don't you tell me what I did? And so you can ask them, what did I do? Now you're asking them to share their observations. They'll start sharing that. Then you can ask, how did that affect you? And they might start sharing their feelings. And you can reflect back to them what you're hearing so that they know that they're being heard. And then you can ask, in what ways did you feel wronged if they've not already shared clearly enough? You're asking them for their need or their desire by that. And then if it's not clear yet, you can ask, what can I do now or in the future so that it doesn't happen again or so that they feel better about it? And you might offer a heartfelt apology right between steps two and three. And not all the steps need to be pulled out with questions. So an example might be, Bob, you're just a jerk. All you care about is yourself and your stupid ego. Response might be, you're right. I sometimes have to rein in my ego. I probably messed up just now. What did I do? Bob says, uh, well, I told you, you told that demeaning joke yesterday. Oh, crud. How did that affect you? Bob says, I felt put down, ridiculed, and devalued. It bothered me all day yesterday, and I didn't really sleep last night. And you can say, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. I should not have done that. I've been told my humor hurts and I want to stop that, but sometimes it still slips out while I'm working on changing. Would you be willing to hold me accountable and tell me next time I tell a joke like that so I can apologize right away? So you can see this nonviolent communication can be pretty helpful in conflict resolution. It can help from both sides of the conflict and help create connection, whereas otherwise typically conflict ends up driving a wedge in the relationship and and hurts the connection. So that is the story on nonviolent communication. You've been listening to the Impact Hour. Thanks for listening. the IRS over $10,000? Do you have unfiled tax returns?